following is KPB MediaWorks production. Choose your fighter. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. With me today, I have a guy who I'm sure you've seen a lot of his work, a lot of his content. Hold back to blocks, Esteban Martinez. Sir, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, man. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, guys, as usual, you know the podcast could be found at all the major platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good stuff. iHeartRadio. I want to also um, give some thanks to Acquire Apparel and Sultamiya Art. You know, check them out. You'll find a lot of great products over there. And here we go, man. You know, one of the things I always love about when I started this show is uh, something that you messaged to me earlier before we started. It's like, hey, man, let me just know what kind of topics you want to uh, talk about. And I always tell people, man, th- th- you know what? This is not about that. I'm just we, we completely wing it over here. You know, I have the most basic information about my guests. And, you, you know, so some people are always thrown back about that. It's like, wait, what? Like, we're just <laughs> going to have an, inter- <laughs> an interview. There's no, like, structure to it. Yeah, sure. Why not? That's actually way more fun, man. So it, it's funny that you mentioned that. That's actually how I conduct a lot of my interviews. Like, I go in having an idea of what uh, I want to get across in a story. Um, but outside of a couple, like, because usually you don't even have a lot of time. But outside of, like, a quick brief before we start the cameras um that's how we go into it yeah man to me i always found that to be awesome you know it's way more fun that way you know like i love listening to a lot of radio i'm more of a radio guy if anybody if anybody knows me i love listening to serious xm sports stuff and there's a guy on there who basically you know i structured my interviews like he does you know uh, if a book comes out you know he reads them or even if he doesn't know who's coming on he gets the basic knowledge and tries to go from there and i always find this it's much more fun that way and you're well versed in this with all the stuff that you've done it's like okay we know who's coming on but let's just do it a little different way because a lot of people have gone into so many interviews and no structure again is fun to me i'm sure it's the same way for you right yeah i mean i i I like to pattern a lot of things like a conversation, even with the cameras on, even with lights or anything like that. Like it's me talking to another person, uh, and I try to even avoid bringing things like uh, a list of questions or or anything like an iPad or anything like that that I'm looking. Like I try to maintain as much eye contact as possible with somebody that I'm talking to because that's how you talk in real life, or at least that's how I talk in real life. Um, I mean, sometimes I got to make sure the camera is still recording and stuff like that, but (laughs) (laughs) which has, which has happened once or twice before. But like, other than that, you know, it's just a conversation that happens to be recorded and that's what I want to get across on camera. You know, and uh, we're going to definitely get into that, man, because I love the series and uh, you know, a lot of people, if you guys don't already know, I mean, hold back to blocks been around for quite a long time, but before we get into that, let's get into uh, knowing you a little bit better. How long have you been gaming? Oh, uh, since since as long as I can remember. So I'm 33 now, so maybe 32 years, 31 years. Wow. Wow, I'm old. Uh, That feels weird to say out loud. So what is it? Uh, uh, Since you're 33, I'm five years older than you. So what was your first controller, if you could even remember? Was it Uh, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis? My first controller was definitely the Nintendo. Uh, I I vividly remember, like, earlier games, like like Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Like, that's, like, the first two games I can remember. Definitely. Uh, yeah, but I know my mom was into gaming, or she, she was like she she gamed in the arcades a lot and stuff like that. So it was just something that she introduced me to as a kid, and I kind of got into it. And I grew up in Brooklyn, so like at that time, as I was growing up, 
you know, arcades were everywhere. Like you could find the machine everywhere at a bodega, at a video store, at a pizzeria, stuff like that. Like laundry so machines, and laundry machines. That. Yeah. So like <laughs> I was just surrounded by it and I just kind of really got into it. And, and yeah, as far as I can remember, I've always had a controller in my hand. You know, now that's interesting. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people on here and it's rare to hear some people say, oh, my parents got me into gaming. Whereas I'm sure you know by now, a lot of people is like, oh, sure. My dad bought me a Super Nintendo or something because I was doing good in school and then my siblings and I took it off. But your mom was the one that brought you into that one. Uh, that's a little bit of a different story. You know, like how did she get into gaming? Was she always a gamer or something? I mean, I actually don't know the whole story or I don't know the whole background, to be honest. It's something I'd love to like actually interview her about one day. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think like arcades, you know, arcades back then, like the 70s and stuff like that, like they weren't, maybe they weren't like the best places, but I think a lot of kids hung out at them. So like she had a history of playing games like Pac-Man and stuff like that. She really liked it. And I guess maybe she just made the jump of like, oh, maybe he'll like it too. And again, like we were just surrounded by it. Like you would just find games everywhere. It was like the gaming boom and stuff like that. So no, I, no, I, yeah, I, mean, I actually don't have a concrete answer to that. No, no, you know what? That's that's awesome, man, that you lived that arcade uh, life. Uh, a lot of people who come onto the show, if there's one thing they love talking about, you know, it's the 90s and the arcade boom. And like you said, you, you couldn't escape it. Mm. You know, um, it, it, it was just everywhere. Even here in Yonkers, where I live, pretty large city, it was hard not to go into any kind of bodega, any kind of laundromat. And sometimes even, you know, random Chinese food places just had mm. them all over the place. It was impossible to escape it. And it was a great time in gaming. And like you said, your mom would take you over there. You kind of like, you, you kind of hung on to it. It's like, hey, you know what? This this is a lot of fun. And uh, let, me, let me ask you this, man. Like, how was the arcade scene out in Brooklyn? Because, again, I've had a lot of people on this show. Most of them, you know, New York City... They all went down to Chinatown Fair, but specifically for Brooklyn itself. How was it as a borough, at least for where you went to when it comes to arcade? Was it just booming like everywhere else? So it's weird because, like, maybe we'll get into this later, but, like, I was never into the fighting game community or the fighting game scene like most people were in New York. Like, I didn't go to Chinatown Fair until Street Fighter Four came out, and even then that was briefly. Um, I didn't really know about Chinatown Fair until when Street Fighter 4 came out. So for me, my quote-unquote fighting game community, my fighting game scene was just Benny's video on 4th Avenue and 36th Street. Like, they just had two cabs there and maybe a pinball machine and maybe a metal selection, and they would rotate things out. And every time or every weekend we'd go to rent out movies or a game and stuff like that, I would sit there for a couple hours and just play whatever games I were. And usually they were fighting games like Street Fighter 2 or like... Uh, uh, Marvel superheroes or X-Men for Street Fighter, stuff like that. And then you would see some of the same characters come through here and there in terms of like the people that were playing. And then you'd play them and you get to know them and stuff like that. But it was like a rotating seat of not only games, but also people that came through and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like so, rotating groups. Yeah. No, man, I know exactly what you mean. And I'm kind of glad you brought that up because it is true what you said. You know, a lot of us... We didn't even really find Chinatown Fair until so much later on when our arcade scenes died. And uh, here in Yonkers, I always just stuck to the general area. It took me a while to even know what Chinatown Fair was. And it's like, oh, look, uh, but Chinatown Fair is just one of those places where you had to be so ingrained into the community, not only fighting games, because, you know, they had a lot of dancing stuff down right. there. 
where you actually wanted to make that trek. And I would make the trek every once in a while, but every single, you know, weekend, like some of those guys and girls did, I, I couldn't do that when I had machines all over around. So I get what you're saying, man. And also another thing that I'm glad you brought up is the simple fact that I find it weird that when people talk arcades, all they ever think is just like fighting games were the only thing. No, man. There were a lot of genres when it comes to arcade machines, uh, you know, especially I loved, you know, run and gun games like Metal Slug. Mm -hmm. And um, there was also like Terminator 2 uh, arcade machines. And of course, I mean, I love pinball. So, yeah, I think sometimes on this show and maybe when you go to FGC events, people forget. It's like, guys, it wasn't just fighting games. That was the biggest thing that drew a lot of people, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, but it was a whole bunch of genres. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big arcade person. Like, I love rhythm games. I love I love everything that's in arcade, like pinball. I love running guns. I like beat 'em ups. You know, like Alien vs Predator is a tight game. No one's ever played it. You should go play it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I love fighting games. But for me, like the whole vibe of an arcade, where like it was like a candy shop, right? Like, there's so many different games you're exposed to in so many different genres that like it, it's it's awesome when you find a really good one. Did you ever make it out to any of the big arcades like Broadway Arcade and um, some of the other ones? Like I know up here in Playland, there was quite a big arcade right here before it disappeared. So did you make it out to anything else besides uh, Chinatown Fair or what was called some of the big arcades down in the city at the time? So I don't, to be honest, like all those years are such a blur because we'd always go like everywhere. So like there's a chance that I did, but like. I, I can't like I can't remember them by names. I just like remember them by like what they look like. Like I remember like a five story one out in New York somewhere, and that's where I first came across like Air Guys, the the Square yes. Enix fighter. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is this? Or like in Aberdeen, New Jersey, there's one. Uh, it's like Playland or something like that. And that's where I first saw Marvel's Capcom two for the first time. I was like, whoa, this is like I didn't even know this existed. Like this is. It's less that I can remember the names, and more like I can remember the picture of when I found this new game. You you, you uh, mainly remember the atmosphere, right? Yeah. It's, uh, and it's pretty cool that you bring that up, man, because I've had a, quite a few people on here that one of the things they always loved about arcades, and I'm sure you're going to relate to it, it's like, you know, just the sound being thrown at you, the lights, everything mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah, I, it's... People forget how noisy <laughs> those things are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it is so loud. But that's like that's the cool thing about it is like you're just surrounded by all these pictures and all these noises and, and like this intensity of it. And it, it's like there's nothing there's nothing like it uh, or there was nothing like it at the time. Now you have to go to like uh, if you can find a good arcade, like it's kind of hard in the States. But like now you have to go to like places like Japan. And even then, like those arcades are starting to go away now, too. So like it's a really rare experience. And I think everybody, especially if you're into like fighting games or just gaming in general like you should you should seek out a really good arcade like you should make a trip to one and just absorb yourself not, let yourself get absorbed into it i did not know that the japanese arcade scene is on a downward a uh, little bit of a spiral I, I didn't even i didn't even hear about that or right, well then again i'm not gonna lie i'm not up to date on how they do things over there obviously when street fighter 4 came out and a lot of us here is like man look at that they still have the arcade scene there they still have that camaraderie the social aspect that a lot of their players could could have fun with fun with whereas a lot of us here you know we're just so spread out and unless you're on the west coast or new york city and places like that it's just hard to find a place so you know that's news to me i did not know you know it's, it's somewhat you know declining 
Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of things like uh, like COVID, obviously, from the past two years, like like, sh- like shut down a lot of stuff. Right, um, right. And a lot of like the more niche arcades are struggling because, like, cause, you know, they already were running older titles as it is and now people aren't coming out and stuff like that. And also just the changing of like tech, like with, with games coming out to consoles first or PC first, like there's no real reason to keep meeting up in an arcade when you could do something like have a group meet up at like uh, a venue or something like that. Um, well, you know, I always thought over there in those countries, uh, I, from my understanding, because I know somebody here who does mobile games. Mm-hmm. Apparently, mobile games is the biggest thing over there, you know, and it that is. was really um, like a lot of people were telling me that's uh, going to be like the signal that the arcade and the console scene may not be around much longer. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but I'm pretty sure the mobile genre crushes anything else out there. Like, it's huge, like to the point where they have to like port mobile games to the arcade and hope that people will come play them wow jeez i mean again i, I mean I, I know our i know mobile games here are looked at in a different way but again i didn't know it was that big over there did you have a favorite um you know arcade machine growing up favorite arcade machine going growing up i mean i played a lot of marvel 2 like that was like marvel 2 so caliber 2 those games i played a lot played i still play or, or before covid i played a bunch of DDR, Dance Dance Revolution, like that's probably the game right. I put the most hours into. And then outside of that, like Initial D Arcade Stage 3, like that was also a game I put a lot of time and a lot of money into growing up. Like I would say, I would say actually more than any other fighting game, I would probably say Dance Dance Revolution and Initial D are probably the games I put the most time into. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a, I have a younger brother. Let me ask you this. Was your mom your cohort, your partner in crime when it comes to playing video games, or did your younger brother also partake into it? I, I mean, I, we all play games, to be honest. Yeah, like, I, I, a lot of my, I have a lot of memories of my brother and I playing games, and, like, he was never into fighting games because I would just beat him up all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's more of, like, a sports gamer. He's more of, like, uh, he, he rec- relatively recently got into, like, role-playing games, stuff like that. So, like, he took kind of, like, some of like the opposite paths, the stuff I didn't take and stuff like that, especially with like the sports type stuff. Like I don't play a lot of sports games unless they're like arcade style kind of games. Oh, um, NFL blitz and uh, like blitz NBA or like, like NFL street, stuff like that. Yeah. Or yes. like wind jammers. Like I would consider wind jammers a sports game. Cause it's like, I play on a beach, <laughs> I guess, but, but we all had like our own like type of thing. Okay, man. That's pretty cool. So, um, you know, you're going to arcades and soon enough, eventually, you know, they start dying out. By this time, you know, I'm pretty sure you're like almost in your mid-teens, a little bit maybe older. Like, do you feel some sort of way that all these machines are, uh, you know, basically going the way of the dinosaur? I mean, like you said it yourself, uh, you, you couldn't walk down the block without, you know, seeing a, a Street Fighter machine or whatever kind of machine. Or, you know, you spend a lot of time at a certain place. And that was the door. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> but did you uh, feel a certain way? Did your mother feel a certain way that it's like, you know, this thing is basically coming to an end? Um, I mean, I miss them. Like, I miss I miss the feeling of, like, that surprising feeling of never knowing what you're going to find ar- around the next corner. Uh, I think it's, like, in right. a weird way, even though you had to travel to, like, some of these places, like, and, like, games are on digital and all this kind of stuff now, um, it's kind of harder to find games like or that you haven't heard of or anything like that whereas in an arcade you would just like walk the aisle and you'd see something new and be like i'm gonna play that or uh, someone would be like hey i heard about this thing i played it here like and then you'd be like i want to go and play that as well so like it, it was 
in a weird way easier to discover new games and that's kind of what i miss i love being able to play what i want from my house though that's nice <laughs> yeah it's uh, true <laughs> and the comfort of your own couch and yeah. all that good stuff but i do i do miss the arcade for that special unique feeling you can only get from an arcade it's hard to describe that being said now it's become a thing of like well there are still arcades out in america they aren't like they're not as popular as they were but they've changed no, of they've evolved things like barcades or or stuff like that well and if, so, if like, you're now, ever in new jersey you know you should definitely go check out yestercades yeah i mean i used to i used to run tournaments at yestercades actually oh i love that place man and that's the closest thing i think to like the original arcade feeling mm -hmm. Again, I love the place, and I love the guys who thought of that idea. And by the way, I love the fact that, you know, I live in New York, and they're in Jersey, so I don't have to go, like, across the country right. to Vegas or something to, you know, go play at a place like this. But, yeah, guys, if you're ever in the area, specifically New Jersey, definitely check that, you know, check those places out, man. They're freaking awesome. Yeah, they're great. Um, I loved uh, – I used to I used to know everybody there. I haven't been there in, in years, though, because I've been so busy. But, like, they're awesome. Like, you know, having a free play arcade with like all these retro games and like they run tournaments here and there sometimes as well. And they're just good people down there that, that work, that run. They have like three locations now, I think. So like they're, they're great. Right. You should definitely go if you've never been. You said it yourself. You didn't really know much about the FGC. You're just a kid who just enjoys playing video games. You're just a kid who loves going and, you know, playing in these machines, spending some money here and there. The arcade scene finally dies down and you said it yourself. And you're not the first. Hey, you know what? I still have video games at my house. I could do it at from the comfort of my own couch. When did you start hearing about the actual competitive side or what we call the FGC? So I think it was a couple of things. So like I always loved fighting games. So I'd play a lot of fighting games. Uh, my friends at the time were really into fighting games. I mean, they still are, but like never like seriously or never competitively or anything like that. Just kind of pick a fighting game, play it, and then, you know, have a good time. Uh, and then things right, like right. YouTube and stuff like that start developing. And, and so then I start looking up like footage of these games and I would run into like match videos. Like I would run into like Yipes' Marvel Baby video because I was looking at Marvel 2 stuff <laughs> or like uh, an, a wild comeback from Justin at the break. And that's when I got introduced to like eight on the break. And so I would start going there. And, you know, they used to play home to like the East Coast Championships, which if people don't know is like basically one of oh, yeah. the evos before evo like that everybody came out to donella new jersey to play at yes. this arcade called Eight yes, Break. Sir. it was it was like the who's who of fighting games would be there and play um so that's when i got exposed to that there were like things in the back of like tips and tricks it's an old magazine old game magazine <laughs> uh they used to have torrent reports in the back so i would learn the names of like you know sanford and justin and like alex valle and all that stuff so i would like hear these names and then i would like play these games and like wow there's like people who are at my time i was like oh they must be making a living playing these games but not not quite <laughs> like you know yeah we're all hobbyists at that time still <laughs> but yeah it, and then like the thing like things like the daigo parry happened and and like it, i start to get exposed to this world that like i've always been like adjacent to but didn't know how deep things really went and that daigo parry i'm pretty sure because the Daigo Perry obviously happened so long ago now, and it's still cited today. It's like, of course, it's like one of the all-time great fighting game moments, you know, competitive fighting games. But I'm sure if you go around, and maybe you have, if you ask a lot of people, even before Street Fighter Four dropped, 
that when they saw that, like, and I, I want to say it, it happened, uh, it, it got on the internet around the infancy of YouTube or maybe a few years after YouTube came out. Mm-hmm. And they saw that and it's just like, oh my God, th- th- that's what got them hooked to wanting to know what competitive fighting games were, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would show friends that video, people who had no, like, interest in gaming or people who were outside of fighting games. And, like, I would show them that video and, you know, you have to set it up a little bit. Like, you have to explain the mechanics and the danger right. that Daigo is in at that point. And, but once you do, once you set the story and you let the moment play out, it, it, people get hooked. And they're like, well, I want to see more of this. Maybe I don't want to play this because it sounds very stressful. But I want to see more <laughs> of this or I want to learn more about that. So I feel like I, I have a very high hit percentage with showing that clip and getting people into fighting games. When you uh, were making your way out to eight on the break, when you were seeing all these names, tips and tricks, uh, tournament results, and again, guys, uh, we got to remember, uh, you know, this is like the late 90s, early 2000s, and obviously, you know, getting word of mouth was pretty hard because we weren't in the communication age that we are right now. So when you were uh, decided, when you decided to basically, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to go see what all the fuzz is about. What was in your mind at the time? Was it like, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try my best? Or are you just going to go out there, soak it in, you know, have some fun, see what everything is all about? What was your mentality going into it? So I didn't actually go to any tournament or any like, I went to like a couple of tournaments, like like maybe like one at Rutgers and stuff like that. And I met friends there in the underground gaming society with like a bunch of anime heads over there. That's how I met oh, people sweet. there. You know, I didn't, but I didn't really go to like tournaments. I never went to an Evo. I never went to like any of the major tournaments at that time because I was really focused on finishing college. And smart man. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and in college, you know, I ran a couple of fighting game events and I tried to pattern them after what I would see in the community because I was starting to watch more and more at the time. I, ironically, I think it was Cross Assault that got me to watch my first final round. <laughs> and I was like, what's final round? And that was like the final round where like everything awesome happened. And I was like, yes, I know which one like you're PR talking Rog, about. Beat Tokido and all this kind of stuff. Like everything went down. And I was like, man, this is, I got to get involved in this somehow. <laughs> and that's when I started to like think about like, oh, maybe I should, maybe there's something I can do that will kind of blend what I like doing. And also like this, I want to know more about this scene. You know, I, I love the fact that you mentioned you finished, you wanted to finish college and around the time, you know, colleges and they still do today. But back then you could run into any gaming club easily. When I was going to NYIT, uh, New York Institute of Technology, man, they had so many gaming clubs there. Uh, I, I remember specifically the one for Tekken and Street Fighter when it came out. And a lot of people maybe didn't get a chance to experience that. I'm not saying it was the arcade scene, and you could probably explain it a little bit better, but it was as close to it as there was. You have all these people getting together. Hey, man, let, let, you know, let's play some video games. Um, you know, video games are still a very small thing at the time, but they were gaining steam. So, yeah, I, I loved the college experience when it came to video game clubs. You know, what kind of experiences did you have with it? So it's interesting. So I mentioned Rutgers before, but like I didn't go to Rutgers. I went to the college of New Jersey, but at the time right. I was traveling around and my friend who went to Rutgers, cause I was really big into Guilty Gear at the time and I was pretty good. So like, they were like, there was a couple of people that played Guilty Gear every Wednesday night. Why don't you come through and I'll take you there. So he took me there and you know, I met a bunch of people I'm still friends with. Like that's where I met Stickbug. Like if you don't know Stickbug, Stickbug basically ran the anime scene before everybody else did in, in New York. 
uh, for a long time. Yeah, they're uh, the guys who mainly do a lot of anime stuff out of uh, Next Level, I believe, right? Right, right. And th- their namesake is, is uh, his, his name is, well, his tag is Stickbug. Like, literally, like, I'm still friends with him today. Like, literally earlier today, he asked me if he wanted to get dinner, like, two hours ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but, sorry, like, man. I got a recording with KPB. <laughs> that's basically what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but basically, like, you know, I would meet these, I would start to meet these people. But in my college, my college was mostly a smash college like everybody played smash oh boy and i i dabbled in smash i didn't really play it a lot i played it here and there but i played like at the time i would be like quote unquote real fighting games which i'm sure will piss people <laughs> off. Uh, but what i did was i was like okay there's a i was in like the japanese club at the time because i'm a weeb and <laughs> but uh at the time i was like okay so like there's a lot of smash people here but i bet you i can get them to play other fighting games so like the Japanese club had a had a, like a Mario Kart and Smash tournament they used to run, and I was like, how about you you let me take that over and let me restructure it in a way where like you know people can pay five dollars to enter, and you know we'll pony up like gift cards stuff like that for the prizes, but we'll make all the tournaments free, right? And we'll have like our big Smash tournament, but we'll also start to run like Street Fighter Four was that was like the year Street Fighter Four came out. We'll also run Street Fighter Four. We'll run Guilty Gear. We'll run all these other games so people will get exposed to it. And we did that for multiple years and we did like little one-off events and eventually like, you know, Smash was still our most popular game, but you would start to see like all these other people be like, well, I want to enter Marvel or I want to enter Street Fighter or I want to enter this or what's this game over here? And like, you start to get that feeling of like that arcade feeling of like, well, what's this? Can I play? And like, yeah, you don't have to pay anything. Like you want to be in the bracket? Like you could just try like every half the bracket is new people too. And you just make that like welcoming environment and people will give things a shot and nine out of ten times they'll get hooked yeah man i I love that story and um before we go on i just wanted to bring something up uh the fact that you said you just reminded me man of all those times uh, because i mainly play mortal kombat 9 competitively and uh, maybe a lot of people sometimes forget about it but man the amount of traveling we did just to get out and uh, play video games in the area specifically because you know i wasn't going on you know nationwide you know, now that you said that, it just brought back so many memories. I used to go down to Long Island, you know, New Jersey, anything to play Mortal Kombat 9. And those were some of the best times in my in my time in the FGC, just traveling, getting to meet new people, becoming friends with people who, you know, years and years later where you thought, oh, well, you know, this is just going to be something where we play a game together and we're never going to see each other. But they become longtime friends, man. And um, I'm sure a lot of people have that kind of experience. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like I I love I love the games I love the genre, but half the reason I still do what I do is because of the people, not just like my friends that I've made from this stuff, but also the fact that like I'm still interested in why people play these games or the stories behind why people are who they are or where they've gotten. Like that's it really interests me, and so that like that's like my driving force in all of this. And, you know, you were doing it before Street Fighter 4 came out, before the boom. Um, all these games that were, you know, were still going on. You know, Smash was king. And like you said, everybody was having that conversation. That's not a real fighting game. So, right. you know, what are we talking about? But Street Fighter 4 comes out and just, it changes everything. How much did it change for you? Did you start seeing more people coming out to your locals that you were helping out with, all the different colleges? You know, give us a little bit of experience for you when that game dropped and everything just changed. Yeah, I mean, Street Fighter 4, like, I think it's kind of hard to talk about just how much it affected everything. Um, because it was a new entry in, like, 
at the time, the widest known fighting game out there. Uh, so like, even when like it, the first trailer came out, I remember it was like time froze and I was like, oh my God, is this really hot? Are they making another Street Fighter game? Like a real Street Fighter game? Because there were other Street Fighter games, right? Like Capcom Fighting Evolution, but we don't talk about Capcom Fighting Evolution. And you know what? Uh, <laughs> um, before you go on, it's exactly that. A real Street Fighter game. We're not talking about Street Fighter the movie. We're not talking about all those other goofy little um, spinoffs. And, and listen, there were a lot of fun games during that time. Like, I always cite Project Justice, uh, Tech mm-hmm. Romancer. Capcom did a lot of, like, small-time games here and there that we now... They're, they're put into these, like, secret game tournaments. If it wasn't a Street Fighter game, they, they were, you know, they were testing out anything. They were putting anything out there. But when Street Fighter 4 came out, like you said, this was the game changer. Yeah. And and it was like, because I, it was something about it being 4, right? Because, like, it was Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 3, and Street <laughs> yeah. Fighter 4. And you're like, okay, like, they're not playing around. Like, this is not some little dinky side project or, like, <laughs> some really niche game that speaks to, like, hardcore fans. Like, Street Fighter 4, they're trying to get everybody into it and of so, course like i remember and that was like around the time where you know i was going to community college at the time and it was like strange because like my family didn't have a lot of money but the way the way things worked out is that we got grants and and i was essentially getting paid to go to school so like i had leftover money so that was like the first time i booked a trip for myself like i just went to san diego comic-con by myself Sweet. and and Capcom was like oh yeah by the way we're just bringing street fighter four here so i was like forget forget the rest of comic-con i'm gonna stay on this line this line <laughs> four times in a row so i could play some street fighter four and Dude, like, how I, long how long was that line uh so I've, like I've, I've only ever seen pictures of it i've seen some videos of it but obviously it's just people playing the game and the pictures of the lines is like okay cool but san diego comic-con brings out a ton of people so yeah g- give me some insight into that one so it's interesting because like it's kind of hazy and the memory's kind of hazy but like i do remember getting there early because i like to get to places early like if you set a time i'm gonna be there like 30 minutes ahead and or an hour ahead just getting ready so like i would get there early and like to get into the convention be a long line but on the first day to get into uh like the street fighter 4 line like it was there wasn't a lot of people because i the buzz hadn't hit yet Right, right. The rest of the conventional. So I got a couple games in. But by, like, that Sunday, it was like, oh, man, you got to wait an hour, hour and a half to play this game. So I would just enter the tournaments because people went into the tournaments. So I would just enter, like, the the convention tournaments there and just, just so I can get more game time and, and, and kind of figure the game out. Oh, man, that's freaking awesome. I mean, well, you know what? Good for you that you managed <laughs> to uh, beat a lot of the lines. But then afterwards, like you said, hour wait time, wow. That, that's uh you know what man good for you that you got a chance to do that because me man I, I don't think i would even have the patience to wait on the line for half an hour to play a video game as much as i wanted to go down to the new york comic-con to play injustice when that first dropped mm-hmm. uh well it, it didn't drop it was uh excuse me it was a build of the game it's just i told myself that yeah dude i, I can't do this man yeah i mean but it, that was also a cool experience because like the person running the bracket at the time was seth killian Oh, really? I, and yeah, because I think this is when he was just started to work Capcom. So I remember that was my first meeting of, of Seth. And like, he doesn't remember it. And like, I kind of hazily remember it. But like, that's where we first <laughs> met each other. But I do remember Alex Vaya being there. Like, I remember him getting hyped up. It was like, oh, here's the US like Street Fighter champion Alex Vaya. And I was like, oh, that name sounds familiar. That's kind of cool that he's here. 
I remember his name from Tips and Tricks. I remember yeah, him. Yeah, I read it in the back of a magazine once. <laughs> Did uh, you get him to sign it for you? Uh, no, I, I, so I'm, I've never been that person to go up to players and be like, can you sign this for me? Like, I'm much more the person to be like, hey, can we like do an interview about like all the cool stuff you do? Yeah, see, and, that's awesome. I would love to have him on, him and John Choi, because you want to talk about the quite essential fighting game players. I mean, mm-hmm. th- those guys, how long have they been playing Street Fighter? And like you said, the national, you know, the American Street Fighter um, champion is here. And those guys, a lot of people forget, they, they traveled to Japan way back then to take on their best players. So, again, I would love to have those guys on just for a chat. Yeah, they're definitely. I, I've met I met John as well, uh, and I've talked to him briefly, and like him and Alex, and I've talked to Alex obviously over the years a couple of times. But like, there's like a wealth of knowledge there that I I still think is kind of untapped. I think honestly, a lot of media outlets have them tell the same story over and over again. But like, if you talk to them, like you know, you can get some really cool insight in how things were uh, compared to today. It's pretty. Well, wild. they're the real deal, basically. Yeah. You know, them and, uh, you know, uh, what's this dude's name? He runs the arcade out in Houston, I believe. Uh, Mike Watson, those guys. I mean, they're the OGs of the OGs, you know, at least for the West Coast. We have plenty of OGs here on the East Coast. But like you said, those guys could possibly get you some really cool info regarding Street Fighter and the history of it and the competitive scene. Because we know how big, uh, you know, Street Fighter 2 was in the arcade scene. But like even you said it, it took us a while to realize it's like, man... There's legit competitions for this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you go over to San Diego Comic-Con, you get your hands on uh, Street Fighter 4. I'm assuming you come back home, you let everybody know how awesome the game is. You can't wait for it to come out. And uh, like I said, you know, this game drops. It, it, it changes everything. I'm assuming you're still running your little your little locals over at the colleges? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I got... My then girlfriend at the time bought me Street Fighter Four and an arcade stick for like Valentine's Day, Jeez, which was what, a, what an awesome girl. like the the best gift I ever got. The relationship did not last, but that stick in the game <laughs> lasts quite a long time. Uh, <laughs> you didn't but, uh, smash them once. You know, you guys broke up. If you don't mind me asking, what was that? You don't. If you don't mind me asking, that you know, you didn't smash the crap out of the stick. You know, after you guys broke up. Uh, no, no, I that was like it was like the Mad Cat's twenty dollar like white like fight stick. That thing was like went like forever. I put new PCBs into it. I, put, I mod it. Like, no, no, that's I treated that stick better than I did the relationship, to be honest. So like you know, it all it all worked out. That's awesome. Uh, but um, yeah. So like it, it started to pick up a lot of steam. Like a lot of people were playing Street Fighter Four. It came out the three sixty and stuff like that. And everybody had a three sixty, and people were like, "What's the Street Fighter game?" So you're we right. finding more and more people starting to want to play. And all of a sudden, it went from like fighting games, not overnight, but very quickly, it went from like fighting games being this niche thing to like a lot of people are playing this game, or a lot of people are really into this game. Uh, and so giving them a venue to keep playing. And as you know, I continued in, in college. You know, different versions of Street Fighter would come out, and like more and more people wanted to play. More and more people want to experiment, play with new characters, all that kind of stuff. So we we got a decent little scene. And like I still see some of those players. Like I like the last in person Evo, I ran to a couple of players from those locals at in Vegas. And I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. Let me ask you this, and um, everybody's playing this game right now. This is uh, basically you know the genre is dormant. At least you know you get what I'm saying. Like competitively, 
Yeah. And now this game drops, and like you said, everybody everybody wants to play this game. And the one thing that the game also did, obviously, had a lot of online play. Did you manage, you know, did you did you ever get any players saying, you know what, I played the game online, but I really want to come out and support the community. I want to support you. I just want to see what this is all about. Did you get any of those players? So it's weird because uh, fighting game community is now is not what the fighting game community is back then. Um, <laughs> you can so say like, that again. It, it was kind of rough. Uh, so I remember uh, that's when I got introduced to like message boards and stuff like that. So like, <laughs> oh boy. I would post about these tournaments and like I would get shit on for like no no reason other than <laughs> existing uh, and not having like a, a name, right? So like I post like, hey, I'm running this tournament. Really cool people came out and they're like, fuck you, who are you? I'm like, bro, I just want people to come play games. Uh, come be my um, friend, please. <laughs> I don't even want to be your friend. I just want people. I just need players to fill this bracket. Like, why are you being mean to me? <laughs> Dude, uh, that isn't that the lovely part about forums, man? I like. I've been part of forums forever, and I kind of stopped being on them just because of that. It's like, dude, I'm not looking for negativity. I mean, it, but but right. that's just the nature of it, isn't it? Right. And, and it's kind of disgusting, but at the same time, hilarious now that I think about it. Like but you I, said, it's like, hey, here's a tournament. Fuck you. I'm like, what? But I can understand. Like, I'm, do, like, I'm doing a project on um, the history of CEO, right? Like, and, and the history of CEO, like, the, the outside of that tournament starts on the forums where, you know, somebody was running right. a big tournament in Orlando right, and right. took all this money and bailed. So, oh, you know, it, I can understand. And, and the community is very small and constantly at that time it was constantly being taken advantage of by, you know, a lot of people who, who saw like easy targets or whatnot. And so, you know what? That was rampant a lot yeah. during that time. I, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that either. So as coming in as like and and yeah, they didn't know who I was and all this kind of stuff. So they're probably like and they, they see that I don't have like a cash prize, like I'm getting out gift cards and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, this guy's taking advantage. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just I'm like 20 and running a tournament. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, on a little bit of a serious note, I had Chris G on here, mm. and you know, we were just chatting, and he mentioned to me, it's like, man, you don't know all the shady stuff that was happening. Mm -hmm. Because I when I was playing Mortal Kombat 9, I was doing it like, you know, semi-competitive, sem semi-casually. I made a lot of friends on that scene. And I, I was aware of the bigger FGC. And, we you know, he started mentioning to me um, all, these, all these teams that, if you remember back then, VVV, uh, you know, um, just a whole bunch of names that mm. just brought back so many memories. And he's like, dude... You have no idea all the shady crap that went mm -hmm. on in this scene during that high that we were all in. Because everybody was just so happy that this genre was, uh, you know, Street Fighter 4 came out and then all these other games, all these better defined games of each series came out. Mm -hmm. And all, all, all the players were just so happy. But in the background, holy shit, man. Yeah. I mean, people saw, like... They, they saw an opportunity to try to exploit it. They're like, oh, here's a bunch of new people and stuff like that. We could do this. We could run this hustle or do this here or, or sign these five players to like a ham sandwich. And like, <laughs> no, no like mayonnaise. It, it, people, you know, there were some scummy people that really took advantage of that. It sucked. So for people who are trying to do like fun things, like I understand, like I, I make fun of it and stuff like that, but I understand why people could be so defensive at that time. Well, you lived it. You know, yeah. so you're more you're more than well aware of what was going on. And, and listen, I, I'm not blaming them 
because it was very rampant from everybody that I've talked to. So it's understandable. Here's Esteban. He's just trying to put together a nice tournament, you know, want to grow the community. And it's understandable why people would be very hesitant. Like you said, you know, a lot of money was being stolen. A lot of people were being taken advantage of. And, and let's be honest, we were all blind to it. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's like, hey, th- this is our hobby. This is fun. You know, what we think is esports money, like you said, is just a ham sandwich to some of these people. It was like, I'm just trying to eat something while playing video games. Right. Yeah, I, 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 people dangle that dream a lot. Um, and I don't think it's until recently, like in the last maybe like five or so years, that that dream is actually like possible. But even then, it's it's to a very low percentage of people. Well, uh, I, I think basically there was so much damage done that it's going to be hard to dig out of that hole. And, you know, this community has been trying to dig itself out of its hole for quite a long time. A lot of people said it is like, look, in the future, in uh, five or six years after, you know, almost like the death of Street Fighter 4, this is all going to happen. And it's come to fruition where it's like, OK, cool. You guys are having some money. You guys are living the esports dream, but again, compared to communities like, I don't even want to say Fortnite, but League of Legends or even Counter-Strike Go, I mean, we're still so much at the bottom of the totem pole, aren't we? We are, um, and I think there's a couple of factors for that, but like mostly like you know, game popularity and like the, the monetizing your game and doing it correctly in a way that works, and just like availability of the game and stuff like that. There are a lot of factors in going to it, and that's not to say that it will never happen for fighting games, but it's definitely going to be a or it has been a slower process. Well, listen, you said it was a slow process for you because you get onto these forums and people are, you know, not very trusting. It's like, oh, who's this guy? He doesn't have really a name behind him. And it's not because, oh, he's not a Hollywood player. It's like everything that we already said, there was just too much shady crap going on. Did you just said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to keep trying until I could gain their trust. What was your process? Uh, I, I didn't really think about it like i didn't again like i wasn't like really on the forums outside of promoting like like my events stuff like that like i never really hung out and that kind of stuff i was really busy with school and i went to my first evo and i think it was like evo 2012 i started to go to my first evo but i graduated college before then and i had gotten a camera from my old roommate he saw he had like an extra 5d mark ii and he sold it or a t2i that's what it's can t2i and he sold it to me and i was like well I'm really interested in learning more about this community. Uh, let me just go to an event and like see if I can like interview a few players. So like my first real fighting game event that I went to uh, was East Coast Throwdown Four, and okay. that's when I that's when I started to like meet players and play in the brackets and like start to do interviews. So let me ask you this uh, before we go on to this part of your story: uh, What did you go to school for? So I went to uh, a school for. Interactive multimedia, that was my degree. But even before then, as a kid, when I got like my first real computer, uh, when we moved out of Brooklyn, I moved to Jersey. And I got my first real computer, I started to like edit like little anime music videos. I was really big into editing. Ooh, I, I remember those, man. Those were like the greatest thing ever back then. Yeah, like the they were fantastic. Like you'd go on like uh, LimeWire or Kazaa or something like that, and you download <laughs> like this. You, you hope it wasn't a virus, but you downloaded <laughs> this. Like AMV of like Dragable set to Lincoln Park or something like that. Oh cool. God, stop! Yeah, it was cool. So I was like, oh, this is cool. I think I should try it. So I used to do that, and I got into editing like hardcore with with that kind of stuff. No man, and that's then, awesome. And then so I went to school for TCNJ, 
uh, for, for interactive multimedia. Unfortunately, I didn't really have a video program, so I was self-taught. Like I taught myself while also learning things like uh, web development and interactive writing and coding and all this kind of stuff. But I really wanted to like edit stuff and, and shoot stuff. So like I had, you know, my friend or my roommate at the time was like, "Well, I have this camera. Do you want it?" I'm like, "Sure." And so like I taught myself how to shoot video. Like I had a couple classes in community college, but I was more of an editor than a, than a shooter. So I then use basically what I do now as a uh, hobby and a way to practice filming stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what led me to going to East Coast Throwdown for that time. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you've been doing a lot of locals, uh, mainly in your colleges or wherever it is that you can. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you said you said it yourself. You know what? East Coast Throwdown is, is really your first big FGC event. And where you're going to go over there, enjoy yourself, but also, you know, partake in what you want to do, uh, interview a few people. For you, what was that experience like going from local, local to like just big time major? What was the first thing that, you know, jumped to your mind when you stepped into this place? Did your head explode when you just saw the logistical side of like, man, this this is huge compared to what I'm used to? Or were you fully aware that, you know, you were stepping into something that it was just going to blow your mind? of how, you know, how bigger in scope it was to compare what to you do. So I was aware because I had watched things like Evo. Like this is around the time where I started to watch like tournament matches and stuff like that and Evo and all this kind of stuff. So I was aware of how things could be or things could look and stuff like that. So I wasn't like mind blown, but I thought it was really cool to be amongst so many like like-minded people like we're all here for fighting games like right, I, I right. hadn't had that like i'd gone to a couple of local community tournaments stuff like that but like the amount of people that were at that east coast throwdown was like it, it was nothing i would experienced before um so that's this is when they were like, holding it in uh what is it was it middletown morristown yeah morristown morristown yeah, yes at, at that hotel and i forgot the hotel but like there was always a wedding there at that hotel i knew that like every time they had east coast throwdown, <laughs> yeah. there was always some wedding that was going on as well but I wasn't ready for that kind of scale where I was like, oh, wow, there's everything here. Like, I, I think I remember that tournament was the year that Arturo got top eight in um, Arcana Heart. And I'd never seen Arcana Heart before, but everyone was screaming like BC Super every time <laughs> I had a combo. And I was like, okay, like, this is like, this is a, a culture and all this kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I'm picking up as I'm just kind of being here and existing in this. It was also my introduction to tournaments running incredibly late. Uh, people, oh boy, those are always fun. <laughs> people don't understand that, like, everyone's gotten a lot better with running tournaments. That's like the number one thing I've noticed uh, since I've been doing this stuff is like everyone's gotten like, way more efficient in running a tournament. But like, I remember, I think that was the year, maybe it was the year before, I can't remember, but like, that was the year that I think the power went out, like, half the room lost power oh or something God. like that. <laughs> and I had to wait to like, I heard that story, yes. Yeah, I had to wait till like 12.30 to play like Steve H in a Sagat Mirror in Street Fighter 4. So I had to wait six hours to get my ass kicked on stream. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> so like that was my introduction to like, oh man, these are like, these are kind of rough at times. Huh? Yeah, you, you, you'll stick with your camera work, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you go over there, you see all this, you have a lot of fun, I'm sure. It's like, and it's interesting you said that it is a culture. I was uh, reading... Um, Juju the Maestro's, it was his thesis, I believe, and mm -hmm. he, he, he went deep into, like, what the FGC is as a culture, mm -hmm. as everything it is. And like you said, you, you saw it firsthand. It's like, oh, man, this isn't just 
a lot of people like-minded were playing fighting games, were hitting buttons. Again, this is multicultural. The spectrum is all here, you know, black, white, Latinos, everything. Just just enjoying what they do, and it's it's just a mishmash of people. Where again, it, it could be considered its own culture. And yeah, it has its own like vocabulary. And, yes. And all this kind of stuff for like so that's what really interests me, and, and like that was like another kind of motivating factor of wanting to do what I do now. Let's get into that. Uh, you you went over there, you know. Obviously, you went over there to uh, see what the tournament was all about. You know, see it at a grander scale. But you said it yourself. You took your camera out there, and uh, what was what was your original mission with the camera to just go and try to interview a few people, or just yeah, try so to capture everything that was going on? A little bit of both, like to interview people and and also to kind of capture uh, what I capture again. Get more practice with the camera and and, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, the funny thing is, like, uh, I was supposed to have, like, an interviewer with me, uh, who is my friend, and then they uh -oh. realized that they would have to be on camera, and they were like, oh, no, and they, like, <laughs> ran away from me. Oh, so my God. I... Come on. Are you still friends with that person? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, they're, they're, it's, it's one of my really good friends. Uh, uh, his name's Sean. He's taught me to play a vampire savior. But he was supposed to be my interviewer, and, like, he was like, ah, he got camera shy and ran, <laughs> which made me laugh. But You know, that's uh, not it, easy, man. A, a lot it's of not, people... It's, a lot of people talk so much crap, and then when you put them in front of a camera, uh... Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, I've, I've started putting myself on camera more often lately, and it's been kind of like, oh, God, this is a whole thing I got to, like, relearn. But it's, like, interesting. Like, I just pulled up my channel now. Like, my first... Like, you would think I'd start small, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know what you're going to say. Cause, cause but I, looked I, at, like... I looked at your channel. <laughs> I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to talk to the people I really want to talk to. So, like, my first interviews, I did four of them. I might have did five, and then one of them never hit the channel. But, like, my first four interviews were, like, Mike Ross, L.I. Joe, Gamer B, and a person called Dominic Bellin, who you might know as Sonic Fox now. Mm -hmm. uh, and The like, big boys. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of do it and see what happens. And like, are these people even interested in doing an interview? Like, how, what's the protocol here? And I remember all of them being super awesome. Like they all were like very much like, yeah, I'll talk and I just take, take a couple of minutes of your time and stuff like that. And it's really interesting to go back because no one is like ready for interviews. Like this is like at the time yeah, that's true. before like esports or anything like that, or like pro circuits or anything like that. So it's, it's very like, it, it, it can be rough at times, but I also like the answers I got. Cause like, I would just ask like, questions people weren't asking or stuff like that or like ask about like because i would be paying attention to people's competitive history so i would like ask about old matches and they'd be like i don't know man i was like playing a match at the time and then i went to denny's <laughs> afterwards i was like oh okay we're not okay we're not at that level yet like okay well no um you, you know you just reminded me of uh, a few um interviews i did when i was going out to long island for um vsm mk9 thursdays mm -hmm. And I realized at the time, um, maybe I saw some of your interviews. Maybe they were featured in uh, SRK.com. Mm -hmm. And I realized nobody was doing anything for Mortal Kombat 9. And mm -hmm. I decided to, you know, take a camera out there. It's almost basically the same thing. You know what? I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but somebody's got to do it. And a lot of people, they're very hesitant. But for whatever reason, the top players, the top players, maybe because they have cameras or people chatting with them all the time. And even some of the organizers, like I interview Phil, I interview um, 9.95 Phil, who used to mm -hmm. run um, VSM out in Long Island. And those kind of guys, they're so comfortable in front of a camera. You know, getting answers out of them is not the problem at all. 
But it, it is funny, you know, looking back at it now, how just comfortable they were with me. Like you say, your buddy bailed on you, but the, you know, some of these guys are just built so much different. And again, maybe it's because it's so they're used to having cameras in front of their faces, right? Yeah, I also think like those people, like I know Shock, like who who run a lot of those tournaments right. as well. <laughs> uh, like they're just used to like Shock was like a, a amateur wrestler, like stuff like that. So like you should go back other... and listen to the episode I did with him on his uh, independent wrestling career. It's freaking awesome. Right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> this cool stuff. So like I felt like a lot of those people. A lot, and that was like my other thing was like, yeah, I want to talk to players, but at that time, especially with Street Fighter, everyone was talking to like high level Street Fighter players, like the F Champs, the Mike Rosses, Combo Fiends, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Where I would, I wanted to talk to them as well, but I also wanted to talk to like the people who would go like oh and two in a bracket, or like the people who ran tournaments, or like the people who did documentaries on this stuff, because I felt like they would offer so much so much more insight into how things are like how things really are they offer a different perspective we know yes. what the quote-unquote hollywood players are being asked and they get regurgitated all the time it's mm -hmm. like that's not fun to me like you man i'm telling you exactly like you i want to talk to shock he's the guy who's been doing everything in the background forever he has a different perspective i want to talk to some players and i did who went 0 and 2. Oh, sure. We, you know, people laugh at them. It's like, oh, that guy went 0 and 2. But this is a person who took the same path we did. It's like they went out to a tournament, a major tournament, to see what it is like to be in the FGC, you know, major circuit, if you want to look at it that way. And like you, I find those interviews a heck of a lot more interesting. Yeah, I, I just think like it, it, those people are just fun to talk to. They don't get. They don't get to be heard a lot. So I was like, this is great. And a lot of those people usually, like, they have, like, other lives, right? So they're very, they're much more comfortable and just sharing very their true. stories. Or very true. Sharing, like, speaking their mind and stuff like that. That was, like, the beginnings of what I do now. Did, did you start editing your videos right away, like, you know, with graphics and all that stuff? Or was that another thing that, another hurdle for you? Um, I mean, for the most part, and maybe there are a couple of videos here and there where I got help. But for the most part, everything on my channel is me. Uh, it has been me since I started. It's pretty awesome. Because, again, I went to your channel. And, um, again, you've been around for a long time. You know, I saw you uh, Kane Blue River interview, Arturo Sanchez, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of those guys. But one thing you also managed to do, and uh, maybe a lot of people haven't picked up on it, but you did capture really nice FGC moments, like like the guy just mentioned, Kane Blue River making it into top eight for EVO for uh, Ultimate Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, you, you captured a lot of really, really fun stuff. Did After that ECT event, did, is this what you realized this is going to be my um, contribution to the scene from now on? I'm sure you were going to still be running your locals and everything, but did you say, I enjoyed doing that with that camera? But is that when you realize that this is going to be what you're going to do for the community? Yeah, I, I think just because at the time there was a need, like there was a need for people to talk to people, you know, outside of games like Street Fighter, because Street Fighter was such a core focus. And I was like, well, there are other people. Like there's like the whole anime scene that I grew up with. Like there's people playing Marvel and all this kind of stuff. Like it, it, we need more interviews. We need more like quality stuff like not to like badmouth people or something like that but like you know a lot of the quality of interviews at the time were really kind of rough and not my, oh, my yeah. first videos were, were not great i didn't have i the know right what you mean man. Like that. trust me um, i know what you mean but I, I get exactly what you're saying it's mm -hmm. like street fighter 4 is beautiful and everything i understand this is the game that 
brought us back from the dark ages, but along with it came all these other communities as well. And they have a lot of interesting people to talk to. And unfortunately, SRK back then was only really covering Street Fighter 4. And it's understandable. But I I love how you took the ball and said, you know what, man? There's way more people in this community. It's just not Street Fighter. Yeah, uh, like... You know, I played Guilty Gear Accent Core for a solid period of my life. I was like, I want to go talk to more Guilty Gear players. I want to do all this kind of stuff and kind of put more exposure on where I think there should be more of a spotlight on. How much different is it doing interviews, wanting to get people to sit down, wanting to get that story out of them? And I know this is a weird comparison, but how much different is it compared to, uh, you know, running a tournament where... You're just setting up the bracket. You're waiting for everybody to sign up. Is it more work or less work? I mean, how would you compare the two? I think it's more intense uh, doing interviews and putting together stories and stuff like that because you definitely have to – there's so many different perspectives that you have to pay attention to. And there's – like you also have to figure out what kind of story that you're trying to tell. Like in an interview, it's different because the person is telling you the story and stuff like that. But with the stuff I do now, like with documentaries and and things like – like, you know, having to figure out, okay, where am I going with this? Uh, what's the story here? How am I going to tie this together? Who do I need to talk to? What kind of research do I need to do? It's it's way more intense. But I think they share similarities in the way where, like, you kind of have to understand what people are looking for. So, like, when, they go to, when people go to a tournament, what do people want? They want obviously a bracket they want like no kind of issues or anything like that they're looking for setups they want setups that they can play on they also want setups they want to practice on all this kind of stuff you know what's in the area is there's places to eat or all this kind of stuff like you have to kind of look at those expectations and it's similar with like a, telling a story it's like okay what are the what are the hooks of the story what do people want to watch all this kind of stuff so i think they have similarities and when maybe not many but there're definitely some kind of similarities between like kind of conducting an interview or making a documentary and and the stuff i used to do with running tournaments what was the initial reaction? Did you get any from uh, anybody? Uh, I know you say you weren't really, you know, going through the forums. You were just trying to, um, you know, basically uh, promote your locals. But, you know, did the local community is like, hey, man, I saw those interviews you did. They were really good. What kind of feedback did you get? Yeah, I got a little bit of that, if I remember right. Like, just but just a little bit. Like, I don't remember if any of them were on SRK at the time. I remember having a hard time getting on my videos on like the front page of SRK for a long time. I don't think, I don't think it was until that first Evo I went to that I really got uh, some good interviews that kind of made it to, to the homepage. But I think especially my local community, people took notice, like they took notice of like the quality shift and stuff like that. Cause you know, I had a pretty good camera at the time or at least a, a good camera to, compared to what other people were using. So I think, and the fact that I wasn't in camera or anything like that, like the style of the videos of the time where it was just very much focused on, the player itself like you didn't really see that a lot unless you were looking at like jonathan raffman stuff like arcade hustler um, right you, you didn't really get that a lot so i think that style like that happened by accident because my friend like just didn't feel comfortable being on camera it started to like people were like starting to take notice little by little and they're like oh wait this is kind of cool like this is a this is a good way to do this and uh one thing i wanted to mention man um during a time where Let's be honest, a lot of people, I want to be a player. Oh, if I can't make it as a player, you know this, everybody was trying to be a commentator. If uh, it didn't work, (laughs) I don't laugh, man, you know it's true. (laughs) Um, You know, um, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to work in the background, how to make the community run, you know, I want to help out with everything. 
what you did, you said it yourself, because Street Fighter 4 was so big, there wasn't much exposure for everything else. I mean, I, I, love, the, I love the fact that you took that um, path because back then, not many people was doing that. Not right. many people were going out with a camera and um, interviewing players. Maybe it's because there was some sort of like, maybe a lot of people were scared because it's such a weird entry and weird thing to do within the community. It's very niche, even back then. You, you didn't see many people doing um, interviews unless it was, I don't know, maybe IGN or SRK themselves. Right. So it's pretty cool that you took that path. Um, did you feel that maybe you inspired a lot of people to try to do the same thing? Because let's be honest, what you do and what I basically do right now, like you said, you need to have a lot of composure. You need to go in there confident. You need to go in there getting ready to talk to somebody to tell them a story. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I know I have. Like there, there's especially recently um, uh, with my current stuff, I know a lot of people have gotten into attempting it like they've they've a lot of people have reached out to me like hey i'm thinking about doing this or hey i've done this can you look at this and i try to give uh all those people like m my time of day and like help them and, and ask any answer because i didn't have that right like when i was doing this i was figuring it all out and i was like oh man it would be nice if i could like talk to somebody because i don't know if i have this all together yet so I, I i know for a fact that i have which is like cool and weird um because to me i don't feel like i've been doing this long enough and then i realized it's been like nine <laughs> years and i'm like oh yes. my god like i've been doing Talk this for a really long time it? but yeah so it's cool it's cool to be on the opposite side of that and be like okay yeah um I, i'm a resource please come here and talk to me and i will help you at best i can yeah it, it's really cool to see that i've had some kind of effect after ECT, what was your uh, next major uh, tournament? Or did you decide, you know what, I'm just going to go to every single one that I can? Did you only really stick to the area that you only know, which is New Jersey slash New York? After that initial trip out there with your camera, getting ready to do this, uh, what was your next big step? Uh, I, I started just going to wherever I could. Like, I remember I went to bar battles in Philadelphia, which is where I, I like I met Big E and stuff like that. And, and right that's a person that's very important to like me getting anywhere because like if you don't know biggie biggie's like he basically runs philadelphia in the fighting game community he's he's like the coolest dude and he's also been the most welcoming and most helpful guy like like i went to bar battles and met kayane there and i interviewed her because she just happened to be in philadelphia for some weird reason i was like okay <laughs> and but through through going to like big east tournaments and barbell stuff like that i got really close with him and he drove me to season's beatings i went to the last season's beatings so i got to experience yeah. that that was such um, an awesome tournament that's one i wish i would have made yeah, it was it, cool like if you loved marvel 2 like that was the tournament to be there that was like that's the reason why i wanted to go <laughs> right so but also like he took me to final round and stuff like that and this was just somebody i met going to fighting game tournaments and then through final round like final round was like super big at the time so a lot of international players i'd beat them and so it just kind of like grew out from there of just like meeting all these people and hearing about this thing it's like oh can i come with and like you know biggie would drive 16 hours down to atlanta or whatever and i'd just be in the car with him and a couple other people and right. then i'd meet the people in the car and get to know more of the scene and stuff like that so it like it was really organic with how I started to go to more and more things, eventually going to Evo. And then you know, from Evo, it was like, oh my God, like I got to go everywhere. And then like, as I started to do more work, I started to get more notice. And 
that's where like things like I get to learn uh, about Team Spooky and Vic and working with them a little bit more. And through extension, like I play Winner and Ten, they're now Ten O, and like this starts to become like a like career in a weird way. Is there a certain personality within the community that you enjoy interviewing more than others? I, I think it's hard, especially now because everything the lines are so blurred. Like there's there's not many people who are just players because of you know if you're trying to if you're just a player and you're also trying to grow a following that's not gonna work you need to have a personality you need to be able to talk on camera you need to be able to be entertaining that's very Um, true if you're a tournament organizer like that line has been blurred as well when you look at somebody like alex jabaley or rick thyre like they are personalities they have uh, egos, like you can see it, right? And I don't mean ego is a bad thing. I mean, maybe Alex. Alex is a little much. Uh, but... I mean, listen, man, you kind of have to have an ego, don't you? <laughs> right, you do. Um, but they are like characters. That's a better word. Like they're characters, right? You, they're like, charismatic. You want right. to like follow them and like go to their events because of them. So I think the lines are a lot of blurred. It's not so rigid anymore. For me, I guess the, I guess the one that I like talking to the most and it's kind of like a fighting game thing but like i like the person that starts off kind of reserved like you know you're having a conversation but you're able to hit on that thing that makes their like eyes light up you're basically able to hit on the buttons that opens them up right slowly you're getting them to open up it's like listen man i know you're very reserved but you know let's do this let's take it calm i'm not going to be asking any hard-hitting question i'm not going to make you uncomfortable and you slowly like you know get them to open up right right so like my favorite interview uh i did a couple years ago i did a i did documentary on killer instinct called the uh, fight on um uh, oh yes i saw that really good work man thank you uh and there's a person there called infill infill if you don't know who infill is infill made the one of the best fighting game guides of all time ki.infill.net it's the most amazing. If you want to learn to play Killer Instinct, uh, you can play the Doja mode in Killer Instinct, but you can That's also right. go to that guide, and that guide's amazing. And recently, oh, yeah. he did the fighting game glossary, which is an online database for every almost every term in fighting games, with like videos and examples and all this kind of stuff. Um, oh wow, that sounds pretty awesome. It's it's an amazing website. It's it's fantastic. The fighting but, game glossary. Yes, by Infill, and uh, he was super nervous about doing an interview. Um, cause he doesn't like show himself on camera a lot and he doesn't think he like speaks well or all that kind of stuff. And it was, it's probably the best interview in that documentary and probably one of my favorite <laughs> interviews of, of like all time. And I love doing that because like it, it, you could tell, right. You could tell this person has like a really sharp mind and is really into this. And once you can get that out on camera, like everything sings. So I remember Majin Obama was watching uh, the documentary on his Twitch at one point, and Infill's giving all these great answers. And I was in chat. I was like, you know, he was super nervous about doing this. He didn't want to do it. Well, you know, I would have <laughs> never guessed because I was watching it, and you must have done such a good job to relax him because he, he was into it. I yeah, mean, he, he was giving great answers. It's like just like you know personality showing, but now you're telling me it's like he was very reserved. That's that's funny, man. That really he was is. super shy. And he was super nervous about it. But I was like, I was, and once he started going in my head, I was like, oh, this is gonna be excellent. And so it's that kind of interview that I really <laughs> like. Once you can like unlock that passion in somebody and get it out on on screen, it's like, oh, I feel like I've done a masterful job of like 
removing all the barriers and it's just me and this other person talking like everything melts away and like that's like the perfect that's the perfect interview when did you decide you wanted to go the documentary way because i mean obviously documentaries are so much bigger but you know i'm sure bigger budgets and everything like that more time consuming than a 10 minute interview God, I wish there was a budget. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, there isn't. <laughs> no. uh, I thank you very much to my Patreon supporters. They uh, basically helped me do this. But uh, so uh, the first That's a lot of Patreon I, guys, you know, keep yeah, supporting. Shout out, oh my God, <laughs> you are a godsend. So essentially, uh, what was going on? I did a documentary uh, a couple of years ago called FTC Rise of the Fighting Community. That was my first like. I always wanted to do a documentary. I was always interested in it. Um, I had seen, it was inspired by uh, Video Games the Movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, or Indie Game the Movie, sorry, Indie Game the Movie. Uh, was Indie Game the Movie the one where, because uh, I saw one movie and uh, it featured, what the heck is that guy's name? He did, uh, I think it, was it the game Rez, uh, Phil Fish? Fez. Oh, Fez, that, yeah, that's yes. right. Was, was, that's that the, was that the movie? Yeah. That's the movie. Was, I literally was... only remember that movie because I loved that game. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, considering I love it, I should have remembered the name, but <laughs> I, I just remember that, you know, that because of that guy, Phil Fish and uh, what was the other uh, Super Meat Boy? Yep. And um, I, I forget the other uh, I forget the other game that was featured. But, yeah, that was a really fun movie. Yeah. It, it was. A, but what really interests me about that movie is that it was self-published. Um, the folks who did that movie, uh, there were a couple. I don't know if there were a couple at the time, but and they published a whole case study on their website. I don't know if it's still available, but basically detailing how they made the movie and how they sold it on their own. And I was like, Oh, wow. If, really? If, if these two people could do that with this, like these indie games, like why don't I try to do it with fighting games? So I, I put a Kickstarter together and like I launched it and I had enough, like, I guess clout or left. Uh, my name was strong enough in the community that I eventually got funded. And it was a very small budget. It was like, I think we raised or I raised 10 K, um, which means I got like eight, really because like kickstarter takes a bunch of taxes and stuff like that yeah they take a percentage for using their platform yeah which is like nothing when making uh, a documentary uh, i i just paid off that movie uh two weeks ago <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow <laughs> uh like in theory like i'm not broke or anything but like that that the money the extra money i took on to like finish the rest of the budget myself like i didn't pay off until like it was on my credit card for such a long time uh but the reason why I didn't make a big budget because at the time there were a couple, there were a bunch of Kickstarters asking for money for documentaries on finding games that never came out. Um, and they're asking for a lot of money, like 25 K 30 K. And then they would take the money, wow. maybe do a couple of clips and then you'd never see him again. Wow. wow. So I was like, well, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to be one of those. Like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it straight, but I also don't want to ask for a bunch of money and then like, you know, whatever like it, it doesn't come out so it's like i'll take the hit on this uh and ask for the smallest budget i can possible and i'll go do it and we did it and it was a story that i got to highlight one of my uh, uh good friends now at the time like uh lk steve bartholomew if you don't know him he's like he's blown up especially the past couple of years stuff like that right uh, and you know i was like this is perfect because now i get to do like everyone thinks i'm going to do the typical that was the other thing everyone was doing like everyone's doing street fighter 4 and all this kind of stuff i remember i have a message somewhere of james chen when i came out with the project he was like i don't know if you should do this everyone's doing street fighter all this kind of stuff little did they know it's a secret doc about anime fighters <laughs> <laughs> what what's that what's street and fighter 4 exactly <laughs> like what what's this it's it's a whole doc about blaze blue of, uh, at, in like you know 2012 or whatnot whenever i did it uh which was unheard of at the time 
but essentially the goals of making the documentary was I wanted something that like I could sit my grandma down and watch and she would get it. And I wanted to highlight like the drama in fighting games, not like the social drama, but like, you know, like high level matches and things being on the line and have the storyline of like, you know, LK's never won an Evo. Like, can he get there? And how do you illustrate that? And so while also explaining what the genre is and how it's more than just this one game of Street Fighter, this whole, this whole community and this whole culture and this whole like different kind of like micro genres inside this one fighting fighting game thing and so that was kind of like the beginning of me doing documentary stuff the other half of that part is that i started to work with a group called no clip a couple of years ago and i would they're like focused on like kind of overall the stories of overall game development stuff like that and it's run by danny o'dwyer who used to be at uh GameSpot. And so I would tag along with him on these video shoots here and there, and I would watch his interview style. It's like this conversational style of doing interviews. And I kind of learned a lot from following him, and then he helped me like build my Patreon, essentially. And he was like, here are the things that work for me, here are the sort of things that didn't work. And I remember sitting here within the Chicago airport, and we are just like hashing things out and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go because the channel had been dormant for a long time because I had been focused on doing like client gigs because of all my work with the whole back to block. I was getting more work, like freelance work, working directly for Evo or working for Vic or all this kind of stuff. So I, ha I hadn't been really doing a lot of interviews on the channel anymore. And I was like, if I'm going to go back to the channel, I need to go, I need to do something different with all the work with No Club. I was like, why don't I try to do this, but for fighting games in my own unique way? So when I came back to the channel with the Patreon, that's when I was like, this is going to be like a documentary-focused fighting game channel. And we're just going to try doing that until I get bored or I want to do something else. And I think this is like, it, it, you know, we've joked about me being here for a long time, but honestly, I feel like the channel's taken off in only the last three years because I found this renewed focus to tell these like much longer stories or much more fleshed-out stories because, one, I enjoy doing that more, and two, I think... Uh, I think we don't have enough of it still in the scene. So it's safe to say you haven't gotten bored yet. No, I've just gotten incredibly busy. I am so tired. <laughs> <laughs> You're tired. Um, and not, not tired as in bored tired as in I have a lot, like, especially right now, like I have a lot that I'm doing, like uh, in terms of not just channel work, but also like uh, client work and stuff like that. But well, like, you gotta and, you gotta go to the places that pay your bills as much as you right, love the right. FGC. Like you said, it's like, man, I wish I had a budget for this stuff. Right. So like, you know, I, I still keep busy and stuff like that, but my projects for Hold Back the Block have gotten bigger. Like right now I have at least five documentaries. Some of them have been filmed. Some of them are upcoming, all this kind of stuff. So I've become like the project manager uh, of the year, essentially, of trying to get all this stuff together. And because the stories are bigger, the projects are a lot bigger. So there's a lot of things that I'm balancing at the time, but I'm really excited about them. I'm just hitting the point where it's like, maybe I need to hire some people to help me out and figure that out. Because I think it's becoming just bigger than just what I can handle at this point. Like you said, you released an anime fighters documentary and that kind of mm -hmm. like threw everybody off guard. Like, like, you know, like we joked around, we're Street Fighter 4. Doing documentary work, obviously you're going to have to have a lot of sources, a lot of video. Is it hard to get your hands on that kind of stuff? Are people willing to share all that stuff with you? Are they willing to just hand over any kind of um, footage? Or have you made enough connections within the FTC with somebody like Spooky 
who you could just go up to him and say, hey, I know you have this archive and I need this for my documentary. Do you mind if I get it? Or have you ever experienced any kind of like pushback? It's like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want this to be part of any documentary. I've never had any pushback if it's a project for me. Like if I'm doing it for a whole back to block, there usually isn't pushback. It's funny because you mentioned Spooky because I did a documentary on Spooky for Noclip actually. Um, it's a documentary called Stay Free, and it's about the story of Team Spooky and, and <laughs> yeah, and how Vic uh, centered around the battle between him and uh, Level Up for uh, basically to broadcast Evo. And you know that was interesting because I remember Vic makes me laugh. He's like, you know, Spooky's cool, but Spooky at the time didn't do a lot of interviews. And so like I sat him down in the basement of Next Level for like two hours, and I just asked about his life story and everything leading into that and stuff like that. That place had a basement. It has a basement, yes. Uh, that's they, they run third strike <laughs> tournaments out of there sometimes. <laughs> oh, and uh, I remember we finished the interview, and he's like, S, I'm glad you – I hope you got what you got because I'm never fucking doing that again. <laughs> I'm only doing that because it's you. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's like the best compliment I can get. And I was right. like, all right, yeah. Um, so I, I guess that somewhere along the line, like somewhere along the way, people have – have a lot of faith in what I do and know that I'm not going to like trap them or something like that or make them look bad on camera. Like I've, I've grown a rep. So I have never had a, a rough time getting footage um, un unless it doesn't exist. Uh, that's hard sometimes we're like, Oh, this, this thing happened, but there's no footage of it. So now I've got to kind of figure out how to show it. Those are, that's different, but that has happened. But, yeah, uh, and I only no. brought that up because, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of FGC documentaries that have tried to get off the ground. And a lot of them happen to, you know, a lot of these things take place like in the 90s. So yeah. go. I, I've had a few directors on here who mm -hmm. have touched on a few FGC projects, but they tell me it's like, man, good, good luck because you have to talk to so many entities, especially with 90s footage. But I'm assuming the majority of your stuff, at least from what I see on your channel, is 09 and, and you know, forward. So right. I'm, I'm sure you don't have to go through any of those pains. Right. And it's also different because, like, it's YouTube, right? Like, I'm not trying to sell yeah, this true. stuff. So that's kind of why it's been, like, that's why YouTube is my focus. Like, I know if I were trying to, like, sell, like, like for instance, like the, the, the FGC Rise of the Fighting Community doc, I had to talk to Capcom to license Street Fighter footage. Right, um, right. And, and like I had connections there and they helped me out and stuff like that. But that's like a whole other process that people don't talk about when you're trying to sell something. On YouTube, especially now, like it, it, the rules are way more relaxed. As long as you don't like, you know, have an entire like, you know, you're not putting the entirety of Inception on there. Then you're usually okay and stuff like that. So like I just said a couple of DMs like, hey, can I show this? Can I do this? And then there are people like, cool. And I'll link back to your video, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and usually everything's really cool. And then for, you know, or if I can't find the person, like I, I'll always just link back to the original source as well. Like especially in my documentaries, there's always usually in the descriptions, there's a source link that goes to a paste bin that links everything I've used. So you can, you know, if you're like that, whatever that was the cool, well, there's a link. You can go watch it now and stuff like that. So hear that, guys? It's not simply going out, you know, recording. Hey, I want to put it up on YouTube, man. It's a lot of it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of networking, making sure you know the right people. Because last thing you want is to get lawsuited. Because hey, why Street Fighter Four on this documentary? And I, you know, you we didn't license it out to you to show that kind of information. So it's not as easy as it sounds. Right. Now. You know, I, I think a lot of companies especially have wise enough to be like, well, this is free advertising. Like, why would we ever 
True. Uh, why would we ever shut it down? Now it, it is in their legal right. Where if, a, if you know, just like with tournaments, like if companies want to come and be like, "No, you can't do this," uh, you don't really have a lot of recourse. But thankfully, we haven't reached that apocalyptic future yet. Oh, you mean Nintendo hasn't done that before? Uh, I you <laughs> could very much clearly see I do not do any uh, Smash stuff on my channel. <laughs> So listen, man, you've been doing this a long time now, nine years, and like you said, time flies. Mm. You're working on a few documentaries, more FGC stuff. Obviously, you have your own personal things um, to do, you know, your job and everything like that, because again, uh, as much as we love the FGC, it doesn't pay the bills. So, right. I mean, how much longer, you know, do you think you're going to be doing this for? Because again, your your expertise, you don't see much of it. Even um, even uh, the FGC is again very bottom of the totem pole when it comes to esports. I know that's a word nobody likes to use, but mm. that's what it is. And I mean, I've seen it a lot in things like CS:GO, Fortnite, and but those communities are so much larger than we are. I again, um, do you feel you have enough things to? Do you have enough stories to tell for maybe the next 10, 15 years? Uh, I I don't. No, mostly because I think there are so many things I want to do still. There are, like, I, I'm looking at a Google Keep list right now of at least 50 different projects or 50 different stories I want to tell. Well, is that um, Google Keep? Yeah, so it's like oh. a it's like an online note-taking thing that you could use. For okay. Free or, yeah, so, like, I have so many things on here. I have so many things in the notebook. I have so many ideas and, and, you know, not just documentaries, like I started branching into like shorter topic focused videos. Like I did something on the $15 team in KOF 13 and how like <laughs> how they like ran the table once they were released, oh, yeah. like or like the worst matchups in fighting games and stuff like that. And doing that in a way that's not just like a list or anything like that, but like I'm actually like doing skits or having fun with it and doing this here and but also being informative. And so that interests me. Like the actual craft of making these videos is what what I'm super into. And taking on new formats or, or new ways of doing it, like TikTok and stuff like that, that, that gives me energy. Because I'm like, oh, this is cool. What can I do with this? What can I do with this? What can I do with these restrictions? Like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, all this kind of stuff. So I think I'll be doing this for as long as I can. Because it is like, you know, I have a Patreon and, and those folks help me out a bunch, but it's not my main source of income. So I can just like, I still look at it as a hobby. So it's still fun for me. It's still something right. I do for fun because I enjoy it. Um, well, you but have to look at it as a hobby, right? There, there's no other choice right now. It's purely a hobby. Right. The Patreon people help you out. But even you know, and they know you're just not going to pocket this money. This is, you know. Oh, no. uh, people are giving you money because they're interested in this stuff. And by, and since, you know, I brought that up, let me segue into this. Mm. How hard is it to keep people's attention, especially when it comes to FGC content like you do? I think it's changed in a weird way because uh, I think I used to focus on trying to get everybody, right? Like trying to get everybody interested in my stuff. And that's not going to be the case. Like you cast this huge net out. It, it, it's not going to work. But like, if you start to focus it down to like, oh, I am the FGC channel, right? So I should be talking to, to these folks and start to work from the, that ways out. Um, I think you get, you capture more people. And as you get better with the, the craft, like as I get better in telling a story, as I get better for making videos for YouTube, because that's a whole other thing. Like I, I talk to a lot of creators now and they're like, they're very good. So a lot of them are better than me. I think I'm like on the low 
low tier content creator, honestly. Like I don't, I look really? at other people's stuff. Is, is that just you being, you know, very maybe? Uh... But but I look at other people's <laughs> stuff and I'm like, oh man, they're they kill me in terms of how they composite their shots or like how they do this or how they tell a story. No, I know what you mean, man. I mean, I look at myself here with this podcast. I started this about, I want to say, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I know I haven't perfected it. I know I'm nowhere near you know, the top of anything when it comes to this uh, niche we do, this genre. I'm sure there's plenty of people who do it better than me. I'm just always trying to find a way, you know, how to not compare myself to them, but find out ways to do it better than them. And also, obviously, trying to get more people's attention. Doing a podcast only, audio only, is much different than what you're trying to do. So, because your yours is more graphical, yours is more video. You know, mm-hmm. you need to find the right graphics. You need to find the right skits. It's uh, it's almost like a battle of to see, uh, okay, whose attention can I grab most, most, right? Right. Uh, but but I think a lot of people stumble, and I think a lot of people are only starting to figure out now, like myself included, is like. You could be the best content creator in the world or the best videographer or best editor, but like if you don't know how to hook a YouTube audience, like it's hard to grow. Like YouTube is a separate beast. Right. So like learning how that skill and, and helping people and teaching people how that system works is important too. And that's been something I've been working on for the past like, you know, year or so of like learning how to make content for the medium that I'm working in and the platform that I'm working on. And so that's been another thing that's been kind of energizing me and that's led to other different types of content and stuff like that and like making me making a fool of myself on camera and hoping to God I'm not screaming <laughs> enough to get evicted. Uh, <laughs> you said it yourself, you, you got a lot of stuff in that um, notebook of yours. What's the process that you go through where you say, you know what, maybe I should tackle this one because maybe it's easier to put together or maybe you want to tackle something that's going to be harder but because it's harder it's gonna you know be full of more information like what what's your process how do you look at your notes how do you look at the things you wrote down and you decided this is the one i I want to focus on because again this is a hobby for you so you're gonna have to find the time for it so you know give us some info on that Uh, it comes down to what are the things that i can't stop thinking about um, so I'll write a bunch of ideas and, you know, I'll put them away, but then there'll be like two or three that like I obsess over or like not obsess me. Oh no, I do obsess. That's, that's the right word. <laughs> I just can't get them <laughs> out of my head. Right. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to do this because if I don't do this, I'll never like feel at peace. Like the fighting game documentary for one, the killer instinct one, the killer instinct documentary. I think I had the trailer in my head three to four years before I ever actually put the original documentary together. It was just, there was just something I kept coming back to and that story of KI and especially like most, it's mostly focused on the 2013 version of the game, but everything about them like losing their developer and, and, and all this kind of stuff and resurrecting the franchise, like I've got to do this one day. And then I blame Max for this in a, in a very like heartfelt way, but he did the whole like, you know, he did the whole campaign to get KI back and bring right, back right. KI. And yes, I was like, did. and I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that video until like a year later. I was going to wait to hold back to block it a little bit more established and stuff like that. And then he did this and I was like, fuck, okay, we're going to do it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> God and, damn and it, like, Max. Yeah. <laughs> I think I hit him up that week. I was like, all right, I've had this idea in my head forever. Uh, can you help me? Like, like who do I got to talk to? And like, uh, you know, 
I feel bad, like, because Max gets a lot of shit, like, a lot of shit from a lot of FGC folks. A lot of, like, the weird, like, uh, like stubborn FGC folks. Max is probably one of the best people in this community I've ever met mm -hmm. uh, in terms of not just as a person, but in the fact of how willing he is to give him his help to things. Max wanted to pay for the entire documentary by himself. And I was like, oh, wow. no, <laughs> you cannot do that. And people don't know that, and I don't know if I've said that a lot publicly, but like he was one of the people that was like, "How much do you need? I don't care how it is. I will. Who do you want to talk to? I'll pay for you to go there. All this kind of stuff." And I had to stop. Wow. Him. I was like, Holy wow. I was like, no, "You got. Hold on. Like, we, I, I appreciate it, but I don't. I, I won't. I don't feel comfortable doing that for one. And two, like from an ethics standpoint, like I'm planning to interview in this documentary, so like, I you you can give me a little bit of help, but I, I can't take that much money." Um, but he did help me like reach he he put me in contact with so many people for that project i even asked him i just asked him for an interview and he's like all right uh you know i'll give you how much time you need how much time like what day you want to come down all this kind of stuff and then like here are the seven people i know from like the original de development team and stuff like that like <laughs> wow, that, that's I was, like, a hell okay, of a yeah, cool. resource man which is <laughs> you know the other half is that is that 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 documentary was supposed to be like 30 minutes long <laughs> and then because of Max and because of like Microsoft's themselves reached out to me when they found out what I was doing and I thought I was going to be in trouble because I was like, I didn't talk to anybody from Microsoft. You're like, and oh, they, shit. They were like, hey, what do you, we heard you're doing this thing. Like, what's going on? And I explained that it was, it was actually James Goddard. James Goddard is the one who reached out to me. Awesome. Awesome dude. He worked on really? Champion Edition for Street Fighter 2, all this kind of stuff. Wow. Um, Weapon Lord, if you've ever heard of that game. He yes, I heard of that game. Yes. A couple people. Yeah. He reached out to me and it was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, are you like trying to drum up things for, and I, and I explained him the story. He's like, no, I just wanted to tell the story of the people who were there and all this kind of stuff. He's like, oh, okay. Do you want to talk to like the lead developer or all this kind of stuff, the project manager? And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you can come down. We'll set up interviews and stuff like that. And you can come in and, you know, do you want to talk to uh, Ken, uh, Ken Lobb and all that kind of stuff? And I was like, what? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll do that. You um, know what, dude, man? That's an awesome, awesome story, man. The mm -hmm. fact that, Microsoft themselves and uh, uh, how you pronounce his last name? Goddard. Yeah, James Goddard. Yeah, James Goddard managed to you know get in contact with you, whether it be via uh, Max or maybe your LinkedIn or something. And you know we talked about it a little bit earlier. Not many, you know, uh, you know, not many of these companies ever want nothing to do with some of these community projects, little community projects. But the fact that, you know, he reached out to you, he's like, oh, yeah, dude, that's awesome. You want to talk to the lead? You want to do this? You want to do that? I mean, you must have been like, what? Yeah, I was I was like, what? And then the next two minutes later, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm here Tuesday uh, at 3 p.m. Can we do that? And I was like immediately like, all right, let's go. Like, I've got to, I've got to do this now and just in case they change their mind. Like, let's, let's just go for it. But yeah, like, you know, so like, again like meeting people to the scene like has opened up so many doors and because of that killer instinct doc i feel like a lot more developers are way more open to talking to me at least um because they saw how i handled that story in that situation and tried to you know try to like present it in the best light that i could well you know what you did it in a professional manner and unfortunately let's be honest Maybe some people before you, maybe some people now, they, they just don't know how to be professional, unfortunately. Mm. You know, uh, and I hate saying it that way. A lot of people, and, but you know what? A lot of people hate hearing it. But being professional is a major step towards taking those kinds of moves where you're able to talk to developers, where you're able to basically tell them what's going on. No, I'm not profiting from this. I, this is just a story I wish to tell. 
And, you know, you get those kind of connections, you get to network with these kinds of people and they become, you know, maybe future people where you're able to give them a call. Hey, man, do you mind giving me an interview for this stuff? Again, your professionalism obviously showed. Yeah, I just I, you know, I'm a shit talker like I'm from New York, right? Like I'm I'm from Brooklyn. (laughs) Like that's how I show my affection to people is by trying to just be a complete dick. Uh, But when it comes to work and when it comes to love it. uh, my professional life i'm very like courteous like i was raised right like i'm coming to a house but take my shoes off you know be very courteous say hello to everybody and stuff like that but you're um, still a shit talker i'm still a shit talker <laughs> yeah of course like especially once i get to know you then it's like fuck your floors and i just like <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know i've gotten very far with very little in what i do because i'm i just try to treat people like other human beings like the way i want to be treated and stuff like that and you know take things serious and i'm earnest but i don't want to disrespect people and i want to present these events that happened in the best way that i can as accurately as i can do i succeed all the time uh no but i think people see the effort the fact that i'm willing to try and i'm willing to ask these questions and fact checked and all this kind of stuff and and try to do my best and i think people respond really well to that And also, do you think maybe it has helped you because something we spoke about earlier in the podcast, not many people are doing what you're doing. You know, a lot of people, like we already laughed about it. Oh, if I'm not going to be a player, I'm going to be a commentator. Mm -hmm. And then they just drop out because they realize it's it's such a large climb to the top of that mountain. Whereas you're doing interviews, you're doing them well, you know, you're putting content out there that some other people, they do do it. But they don't do it as well as you do, even though you say there's a lot of people who who do much better content than you. And you know what? You're absolutely right. There's there's always going to be somebody better than you. But mm-hmm. you're consistent. Is that? Uh, do you feel that also helped you? I think it does. I also think, uh, and especially over the past two years or so since we've been like inside for so long, like a lot of people have taken oh, right. up content yeah. creation, making right. stuff, and I think they realize just how demanding it is. And I've heard it constantly where people are like, oh, my God, this is hard. And I'm like, yeah, it's difficult. (laughs) Like, it's not easy. Well, dude, I mean, you echo something that I've talked with Rodney, with Mm -hmm. Posey and a lot of people. You know, people think it's just easy. All right, let me open up my phone, record a video with me screaming. Listen, content creation is a full time gig. You may not have the hours to do it because it's a hobby, but even as a hobby, you need to put in almost full-time hours for it to come out well, to come out right, to be able to capture people's imaginations, capture those eyes, you know, capture their attention. It's not easy work. No, it's not. Um, and you kind of, you kind of have to be all in, especially with the things that I do. Like I, 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 think about this stuff constantly probably more than i should and i should probably take a real vacation but haven't gotten there yet uh <laughs> where but, would that vacation know, be man would you want to go to hawaii you know thailand uh japan where do you want to go i, I mean i want to go anywhere that isn't next to my computer that'd be nice just if, so far far away from adobe premiere and my computer that'd be great oh you so you want to do uh oh my god what's it called uh i i heard somebody on the youtube channel i recently watched he did a uh uh, what is it like a fasting of electronics or whatever it is that he said? Oh, like Where, complete, like unplug yourself completely. Yes. Oh, he he unplugged himself for like a whole week and he came back a changed man. Is like holy crap! I needed that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. I've done that once or twice and it's very helpful. Like you could feel the difference because you're like, I, especially with me, I'm so like submerged in this stuff where it's like, I got to come up. I got to remind myself to come up for air sometimes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to just go somewhere. And I would think start to open up again. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully I've made it like, that's like the one like resolution I made this year. It's like, I got to take a break at some point. Just you got to take a real away. vacation. Yeah. Here's an interesting question. If, you would have continued, let, let me phrase it this way. Mm. Would all this have happened to you? Would, would you have, do you think you would have achieved all that you've done if you actually decided to keep doing your locals, doing, um, you know, organizing? Or did you know right away, once you had that camera in your hand, that, you know what, the local stuff, the competitive side of me, it's going to have to go dormant because this is what I want. Uh, I think I knew immediately, like I was just having way more fun doing interviews and stuff like that. And I was just like, I, I mean, I love playing the games and stuff like that, but this is more interesting to me in terms of like, this is like, this is just what gets me going. And like, it's a puzzle to figure out some of these stories sometimes and put them in the right order or put it in the order that I think feels right and find the right people to talk to. And, you know, I, I just get, it's a thrill that like, it's a different kind of thrill that I get from playing like fighting games competitively. Um, so, yeah, I think I knew pretty, if not immediately, pretty soon afterwards, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, this is the route I'm going to take and see what I can do. Are you always only going to focus on uh, fighting games? Or, I mean, you said it yourself, you were a DDR player, you played all kinds of genres, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I really don't know how involved a lot of those, you know, those communities are compared to something like the FTC, but have you ever thought about, you know, uh, getting out of FTC stuff and maybe working on something within the DDR community? Uh, or so any had, other community. I, I've had a Dance Dance Revolution documentary in my head for like two years, and then COVID hit. Uh, dun, and dun, like dun. I, I was starting to put it together. Like I had the contacts and stuff like that. I was tracking people down, and then you know because of everything, the scene kind of stopped. Or you know, it, it's they don't have like public events or anything like that anymore. So eventually, I hope to like I, I, I know what I want to do, and I know the angle I want to take on that. And then I also like I also had a. A documentary on games done quick also that had filmed interviews and then that oh. had that got shut down by COVID as well so like I want to get back to those as soon as I can and and start to really kind of figure that out so like I think going forward like I'll always have a focus in finding games but I think I think there's more that I want to do as well with the channel where I want to talk to those adjacent communities as well and start to branch out a little bit um also, just to get like you know different type of variety of stuff on the content uh, on the channel and start, excuse me, and start to open it up a bit more, um, because there are just other things like like the DDR scene and the speed running that I'm just like super interested in, and I would like to love I, like the core emphasis of my channel is that it's just stuff I want to get to know more about. So you know that's what I'm gonna go do. Hey, listen, man. The moment you start doing, um, you know, speed running one, I'll definitely be supporting, man, because those people do really awesome things, and um, you know, the amount of money they raise, and uh, just the camaraderie that happens during that week, and uh, wherever it is that they do it, is it's it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I've worked with them multiple years now. Um, I shoot so like a little bit of background, like. I, if you watch the event, um, especially when they did the live ones, at the end of every event, there'd be like a little like documentary video. Uh, yes, that's I, right. I make those videos. And Spike Vegeta has the most awesome voice ever, man. Yes, he does. <laughs> how the heck does that guy, how is he not doing like movie trailers yet? Uh, you can hear him from like two hallways away at any time at those <laughs> events. It's pretty wild. 
So listen, man, this was a lot of fun. I want to thank you for uh, coming onto the show and sharing your story, sharing your processes and, you know, what you're going to be doing going forward. You know, let our let our audience know, man. How could they reach you? Uh, you can watch all my stuff at youtube.com slash holdbacktoblock. Uh, you can watch. You can follow me at twitter.com slash thebestabond, or you can follow the channel's Twitter account at twitter.com slash holdbacktoblock. Um, if you like what I do and you want to, you know, uh, toss some scratch my way, you can do so at patreon.com slash holdbacktoblock. Uh, and listen, are, guys. All the important links. Exactly, man. Listen, guy, he does a lot of great work. He does a lot of great work, especially for the FGC, man, because like he said it himself, content, it takes a long time. You got to have a lot of patience to get it done right. And, you know, you're not going to find a lot of content better than, you know, Esteban's here. He, he, he puts in a lot of work. And I hope, so, you know, I hope a lot of people who listen to this, man, like he said, send them over, you know, some support, get his ideas off the ground. Because, again, not many people doing what he does. No, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing either, but I enjoy it. No, man, I personally think it's a good thing. I think, you know, the communities need people like you where it's it's a different part of what we already see. Because, listen, we already know the competition is there. It's always mm -hmm. going to be there. But I always think it's always awesome to have somebody like you, you know, giving everybody the other side of things. You know, let's tell the stories of some of these players. Let's, let's tell the stories of how these games are made. And, you know, that at the end of the day, it's like you said, we're, you know, we're fighting for people's eyeballs, fighting for people's eyes. And you're putting some really good stuff out, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, guys. And again, uh, this was another fun episode of KPB Cast. Guys, give it a like um on the youtube page uh kpb live again the podcast is available on all the major um podcast platforms apple spotify google iHeartRadio, public radio which i actually recently found out you know the podcast is on there there's so many platforms it's, 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 it's hilarious how many platforms are there but again you know this is kpb rafael this was uh esteban martinez you guys know him as the besteban um, you know, he, uh, again, runs Hold Back to Block. Follow him, do all that good stuff. Again, thank you, sir, once again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And guys, you guys have yourself a great day. Have a great night. And thanks for, you know, thanks for listening. And that was a lot of fun. Man. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.